This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Since this is the month of February, we're actually going to be covering a number of segments in honor of Black History Month. And today, we're going to be talking about the subject, What a Difference a Law Makes, Lessons from the Reconstruction Era in America. And there's a really good book that I'd like to refer you to that actually tells the story of Reconstruction-era America through the eyes of the Black elite in Washington, D.C., who were living at that time and beyond that time. So the book is called The Original Black Elite. It's by Elizabeth Dowling Taylor, an excellent book I would recommend just to get some perspective. So if we look back to the time period of the 1870s, and the 1880s, we will find that there's a segment of the Black population that was starting to emerge and to do very well. They were getting educated at some of the premier institutions in the country. They were going on to take on significant jobs. They had money, and they were able to provide for their families at a reasonable level. We also find that they were even able to acquire properties and be landowners as well. And there are a number of laws or acts that were passed that made a difference and that helped. So in 1866 was a Civil Rights Act. And in that Civil Rights Act, it said that blacks had the same rights as whites in this country, that there would be no distinction. That was all the way in 1866. Then there was the 13th Amendment that abolished slavery. There was the Reconstruction Act that actually divided the southern states into military districts. And so there was a lot of oversight of the southern states for a period of time. And then in 1868, there was the 14th Amendment, which granted citizenship to all those born and naturalized citizens in the United States. Then in 1870, there was the 15th Amendment, which was the right to vote. This right to vote said that you could not deny it or you couldn't discriminate against people based on race, color, or a whole host of other factors. And then around 1871 or so, we have the Force Acts, and those acts banned the use of terror or force to prevent Black people from voting you will find that these laws for a period of time were extremely helpful, including other laws such as in 1869, 1873, the public accommodation laws, which were in the District of Columbia, especially around hotels, restaurants, and bars, that these places were non-discriminatory. Anyone could go into those establishments. And then in 1875, there was a Federal Civil Rights Act that applied those accommodation laws more widely throughout the country, not just in Washington, D.C. 
there were a lot of things happening such that there were a number of black citizens who were in government, including the Senate and also the Congress. It was really a time of people living together in closer community, for example, in Washington, D.C. Even blacks who had professional businesses also had white clientele. And people lived in the same neighborhoods. There was not the same demarcation of blacks only, whites only here, but people were living in a more integrated way. And as I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of great job opportunities with raises and promotions and leadership opportunities. So people were optimistic. There were opportunities. And this went on until about the mid-1880s when things started to change and a little bit earlier when some laws were enacted that would set the stage for a regression, is what I would call it, in terms of regression of progress. Some of the uh, worst actions occurred when President McKinley came into office in about 1896 or so. And it was thought amongst the black leaders, that they would be able to talk with President McKinley, that he would support many of the things that had been supported in the past. And they even were invited to the White House. They had conversations with him. And even when he took his oath of office, it was on a Bible that was supplied by the black church. Nevertheless, under President McKinley, a lot of ground was actually lost. And what ended up happening is that starting probably even earlier in about maybe 1877, the national government began to revoke its commitment to black advancement. The citizens in the black community were handed over, if you will, into the hands of the white supremacists in many of these local districts. So the local and state governments They began to enact all kinds of restrictions, and they created their own local laws where they legalized segregation and discrimination. They restricted political participation, and they did this in such a way that conditions became even worse than what they were pre-Civil War in some areas. So in 1877, The South was no longer under the direction of one of the Wormley Agreement, and that policy is what kept things in check. And so once the law was returned back to the Southern states on their own, it became a real spiraling down for Black people in the United States. So ultimately, even the District of Columbia became quite segregated. Restaurants and hotels, beaches that had been integrated, that all people were enjoying, now were segregated. And mostly because the Southern lawmakers who came to Washington to go to the congressional meetings refused to stay in hotels or to eat in restaurants that were integrated. And so they imposed a lot of the Jim Crow type laws in Washington, D.C., even though Washington had been free of such things. And the federal government failed to take action to make sure that this was not implemented. Things were so severe in terms of the segregation that even cemeteries were declared 
segregated. Black families that had members who were buried in cemeteries that earlier were integrated and now were segregated had to go to those cemeteries and dig up the remains of their relatives and move them to a different location. Even in 1894, you had scenarios where if a white man murdered a black man in the Washington, D.C. area, for example, he would not be brought to justice. On the other hand, if a black man had committed a crime, even something more minor, there was swift and merciless punishment in those cases. Then there was another case of a lawsuit where this one man who was an attorney in 1897, he had sued a restaurant because this restaurant had denied him service. And he cited the civil rights law of 1873 and said this was a violation of that. When the case came to trial, the defense in this case decided that the two there were two black women who were on the jury and they replaced those two black women with two white men, and therefore this black attorney lost his case against the restaurant that had discriminated against him. Then in 1896, there was the Plessy versus Ferguson case. The Supreme Court heard a situation where a man whose name was Plessy was filing this case because of railroad discrimination. But Louisiana had passed a separate car act in 1890, so that now there was segregation on the railroads. And when the case came before the Supreme Court, they did not reverse it. Now this law was upheld and spread throughout the country and affected many of the residents of Washington, D.C., who were used to traveling by train and going long distances when they would enter into many of these southern states Even if they held a first-class ticket, they were not allowed to to ride in the first-class cars. Also, during this period of time, there was severe decrease in the participation of African Americans in the legal system because areas were redistricted, barriers were put in place, laws like the grandfather clauses and all of these things started coming into play. And so that therefore people, even though there had been an earlier voting act, people were no longer able to vote. And it eventually got to a point where there was only one person in Congress who was black after a period of time. Whereas in these earlier years, there were a number of people in in Congress. But by 1899, we were down to only one person, even in the D.C. legislature representing the country. And under President McKinley, he also, for the first time in more than 30 years, did not appoint any black members to the board of assessors. So the voice of black people was being lost in the country through all of these systematic approaches to really squelch representation. And at the same time, all of this was going on. Lynchings were increasing, prison abuses were increasing, and poor schooling was being provided for black children because the separate but equal laws were in coming into effect, and we know that even though it was separate, it certainly was not equal. These were difficult and challenging times to the point where those who had risen in their positions and had done well, many Black people in Washington were demoted, and they were also reduced in wages, 
and things became very, very challenging and very difficult. Now, you might wonder why I bring these things up, and particularly as we talk about the business environment and the business climate. Here we have a situation where we see that the federal government actually failed to protect all the people. It was the erosion of the laws that made it possible for others to come in and write their own laws superseding what was happening at the federal level. And if we think about what happens in companies today, you have to think about when you're bringing in diverse people with diverse perspectives, there's a real business imperative for that because you're going to have a more creative workforce that's going to think of the new innovations faster and will be more relevant moving forward. However, there are often many policies and many laws or procedures in place that keep people left out of participating in the system. And yet people don't often see those barriers. Those are the invisible fences. What they might see is that someone may not have the right education, or they might see that someone may not have the right job history. What they don't see is what were the conditions that created that lack of opportunity for that person or perhaps even a group of people. So in the workplace, we always want to be vigilant, not only to think about racism or prejudice on an individual level, but think about the systemic ways that barriers are held up and maintained, almost like electronic fences that you don't see with your eyes, but they actually are there. And they're still doing the job to keep some out and perhaps to keep some others in. So as we are engaging all of this content for Black History Month, do consider that the laws of our country make a huge difference in the freedoms of all citizens. And if even one small segment of our citizenry is not properly represented, then all of us suffer. And you might wonder, well, how do you say all of us suffer? Because when you disenfranchise someone else, ultimately it's going to come back to bite you too. You can't live 100% of your hours behind the walled community, the gated community. And even after a while, those who are oppressed and disenfranchised may break through those walls and be angry about all that has happened. So I think it's very important to keep in mind that it is all of our responsibility to make sure that this is a land of freedom and justice for all. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.